Hey, what's going on there, Warrior? It is Jeff here from WarriorLife.com, and welcome to podcast episode number 445. So your friends are going to tell you that you are crazy. They'll tell you that it is impossible. They will dare you to prove that you're not just feeding them a line of BS. And then you will break out your pistol and watch their jaws drop as you nail a target as far out as 100, 200, even 300 yards and beyond. Yes, with a pistol. Now, look, this isn't just a fancy trick for bragging rights. It turns out there actually is a defensive use for long-distance pistol shooting. And in this week's show, you're going to get a step-by-step tutorial on exactly how to pull this off at the range and in real life. And don't worry about taking notes. We did it all for you. Just go ahead and grab the handy-dandy one-page cheat sheet in the Loot Locker section of our site, as well as all of our other podcast episode cheat sheets and a whole lot more, all absolutely free just by going to warriorlife.com loot. And now, let's talk tactics. Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. Welcome to the show that helps you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is the Warrior Life Podcast. All right. Analysis of real gunfights involving both civilians and law enforcement tell us that most attacks happen in a much closer distance than people think, typically as close as even nine feet or less. So therefore, it stands to reason that the majority of your firearms training, especially if you carry a concealed pistol as part of your everyday carry, should match the conditions that you're most likely to face in a real attack. However, are there times when you should train with your handgun at farther distances, like, say, the common 21-foot response distance? Or what about going all the way out to 50 feet or 100 feet or 300 feet? How about 900 feet? Does a 300-yard shot even make any sense whatsoever? And if it does, how exactly can a shooter achieve such a heroic shot with something as puny as a pistol? Well, Warriors, get ready for your next range test because you are about to get an an advanced education in long-range pistol shooting. Jeff Anderson here from warriorlife.com. And back with me for today's show is the great and wondrous firearms and tactics instructor, Scott Reese. Scott, welcome back to the program, man. Thank you very much, Jeff. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Now, I'm glad to have you back on the show. And uh, this is uh, this one is a good one because I have a um, I have a range day coming up with a couple of friends of mine who are Navy SEALs. They got a private range and I'm looking to smoke them like I want to I want to see their jaws drop here. So this is going to be this is exciting for me. Mm-hmm. Um, listen, everybody, if you haven't if you didn't see any of our, our previous episodes with uh, with Scott at all, Scott is a 30 year veteran of the LAPD who spent 10 years as a SWAT operator and instructor and 15 years as the primary instructor for all advanced firearms in service training for the LAPD across all of its 19 geographical divisions. Now, Scott has also been in charge of advanced training for specialized groups within the LAPD, such as their anti-terrorist division and their undercover undercover narcotics operations, and has even worked with the military training U.S. Marines out at Camp Pendleton. He's the author of the book, The Art of Modern Gunfighting, and has now come on to develop his new sister company, Intact Training Solutions, which is focused on providing civilians with a reality-based immersive training experience that was previously only found mostly in high-end military and law enforcement training centers. Now, to learn more about Scott and his training, make sure that you visit him online at internationaltactical.com or intacttrainingsolutions.com. All right, Scott. So this, like I said, this is a uh, this is this is my going to be my next range test. So I'm really looking forward to this, okay. but. 
from from a defensive standpoint, it, I think a lot of people are already asking the question like why. So other than for bragging rights, what purpose does training for long distance pistol shooting have for the defensive handgunner? Okay, uh, that's absolutely a legitimate question and uh, one that's posed to me or posited to me all the time. And the reason, a uh, number of different factors that we do, we incorporate this into our handgun three and then above, you know, uh, advanced handgun and so forth. Uh, we have a concealed carry uh, class that we're going to be doing here this weekend coming up. And we're also going to incorporate long distance shooting. And here are the following reasons. Uh the LAPD has had many, many shootings, documented shootings in excess of 50 yards. Uh, one of the most famous is, of course, the 1997 uh, North Hollywood shootout, and that was uh, Larry Jean Phillips, Montes Serrano with the suspects. The closest officers were, on average, about 40 yards away. Officers fired, a I think, over a thousand rounds at the suspects. Not that many rounds hit, and they were literally some of some of the officers emptied their entire at the time of their Karen Berettas, They emptied all three magazines plus the one in the chamber within under a minute. And after that, then they're just they're dry for the rest of the firefight. Well, guess what, guys? We have got another forty five minutes to go. Uh, I had trained every single geographical division and specialized units except for one, believe it or not, in long distance shooting. It's one of the four. One of the um, uh, you know, evolutions that we had when we did training and we had them do it at 50 yards and 75 yards <clears throat> with the handguns. North Hollywood had not for whatever reason. Uh, the next day after the North Hollywood shootout, I had a call from the lieutenant there goes, we need the training. Well, you know, the horse already left the barn door. Um, it's just not the North Hollywood one, but we've had many, many shootings in excess of 50 yards. I know John Helms uh, was involved in one at over 50 yards where he nailed a guy with a 45 Bottom line is this, there are going to be situations that are going to be in excess of traditional pistol distances. It's good to know how to do it. Uh, one of the most uh, frustrating ones to me was the Mandalay Bay shooting, which was in 2017. Uh, the suspect was on, I think, the 30th floor. He was only 240 yards away. There were dozens upon dozens of officers that were armed there. I know that there were many, many officers from LAPD that were armed there. Uh, if you think about that, and I've had this question asked, well, you know, what could he have done? The suspect had an hour to fire over a thousand rounds, just, you know, with without any resistance whatsoever. Well, he used a sledgehammer, broke out the windows or some other device, broke out the window. It's the only, you know, set of windows that's broken out uh, from 240 yards. That's not an altogether improbable shot if you know what you're doing. Uh, certainly, you may not have struck the suspect. Uh, maybe there's a low probability, but he certainly would have known he was being engaged other than just giving him one hour of free reign to do whatever the heck he wanted. And that just to me was frustrating. That is distant shooting. And if you don't think that's going to happen, you know, again, sometime in the future, you're smoking your socks. Sure, it's going to happen. And it's a great skill to have, not only for law enforcement, for military, you know, you lose your primary weapon, you go down to handgun only. Guess what? That's all. And you're, you know, trying to you know, E and E out of there, you know, escaping evade. And all you've got is a handgun because you're booking. Uh, it'd be nice to know how to keep people off you from distance. Uh, for civilians, you know, get out in the middle of the open and a guy's opening up on you with a rifle or whatever. At least you, you stand a chance of being able to account for yourself. You can certainly make him be aware that you're actively attempting to engage him. But I'm, and I'm curious also for, I know that there are, and we're going to get into some of the specifics here about the dynamics of, of 
of using a pistol at, at those distances. Mm-hmm. But is there any crossover benefit for because it, at that distance, it's much less forgiving for all the different factors with a pistol than than it is at close range. And so are there any carryover benefits for for close quarters combat in any in any even if the close quarters is you know 21 feet in and closer but um but sure. still at that range is there any is there any carryover benefit oh absolutely for one thing let's say let's you know uh, give you a hypothetical you can hit uh that target i just mentioned 26 inches tall 20 inches wide at say 150 yards now let's go to a critical hostage situation where maybe muzzle contact is 12 15 feet maybe less and you've got a small, very small latitude for error uh, from a frontal perspective. You know, you're trying to get basically in the eye sockets, concave, had a tendency to, you know, traverse the round uh, into the brain and so forth. So uh, for a single shot, well, you're looking at what I would basically taking the pistol itself and turning it into a mini sniper platform without the glass. So if I can make a hit at 150, because all the components, almost all the components, there are going to be slight differences when we get into it. But almost all the components that you need to pull off a 150-yard shot are going to be present in a hostage resolution. Or if you have a suspect who is a partial target coming around the corner, all you have is a portion of the eye and hand, you know, basically the hand coming around the corner firing at you. Uh, and a lot of people, uh, you know, think, well, everybody's always going to be standing facing me, static. They're going to have scoring rings on them. Uh, that's not the case at all. Every shooting I've been involved in, I've had partial target movers. Uh, you know, so it's, yeah, it, it's basically taking the confidence you get from hitting at 150 and translating it into a critical, precise shot at much, much closer ranges. So that's, to me, would be the greatest benefit. And every student that comes away hitting 150, now they go back to, say, a 15-yard shot on a uh, pepper popper, and it's like shooting at the side of a barn. I think that's a very important point also, because it really isn't just necessarily about like hitting a bullseye out of that far. But I mean, it's also like just taking them off could be one. It just gives even if it's an active shooter situation, that person knowing that there's rounds that are landing close to them, especially if they're at a distance, then it at least it could save lives. Like it gives people time to respond and get out of the way that they might not have had if this person just felt like they weren't that they weren't that they just there was nobody that could touch them. The other thing that you brought up that I think is really important is um even for the defense you know for the defensive handgun or even close range that being able to do this um has has got to be a great confidence builder. It's got to be you know being able to hit out at that far is is going to have to be very empowering for somebody when you're looking at at a shorter range. Like you said it looks like you know, you're hitting a broadside of a barn when you uh when you come back at, at shorter distances so confidence is a big part of this too i think no absolutely look you know <clears throat> uh civilian law enforcement doesn't matter if you can hit at 150 uh, a target at 50 yards is certainly not as challenging in other words okay i you know others have been here i'm here now i've hit at 150 50 yards cakewalk so to speak um, and I'm not saying that facetiously, but, you know, if you have people on 150 yards, they, real, they they suddenly have to refine everything to such an extent that now we pull them off the 150 because we're always switching ranges, and, you know, flip-flopping on, on the class if we bifurcate or you know, split it in half. And now they go back to pepper poppers. They're not missing anything. Or they go to the, the ones where we have pepper poppers maybe at 17 and then a farther target at 50, and they're hitting both of them with regularity, whereas before they were not because now you physically understand what it is 
that you need to input into the weapon in order to get hits at 150, closer targets, much, much easier. And it's very much a psychological um, advantage knowing that, hey, I can do this. It's just I have to adapt. So uh, is there a viability? Is there a practicality to knowing how to do long distance? Sure. I mean, it's like anything else. It's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. That makes a lot of sense. Sure. So obviously the dynamics have to change for shooting a target accurately at at 250 yards with a pistol versus the mm-hmm. technique that you would use for a closer target where you've just got this gigantic, you know, silhouette or this person in front of you. So so let's start at the beginning with this with the grip. So what mm-hmm. is the best way to hold your weapon to maximize accuracy at these longer ranges? Okay. Uh, you can't use your traditional grip. Well, the grip itself is going to be the same, but you can't have the same amount of tension. If you're locked down on it, you're trying to, you know, in terms of recoil. So we'll get into that one. What you're trying to do is the pistol, the sights, it doesn't matter if they're traditional mechanical sights, steel to steel, or if it's a red dot system, they're always going to be in a constant state of motion. If they're, if there's no motion at all translated into weapon, you're either dead or passed out one or the other. That's number one. So you've got to relinquish a little bit of pressure on that. And when you do that, you now are dealing with something what we call muzzle rise. And muzzle rise will be a direct effect from, and you also have to take into account what we call lock time, from the time you press the trigger till the striker uh, firing pin is struck or the hammer falls forward, that's lock time. Then you have dwell time, the amount of time that the round actually you know, is within the barrel. And that's measured in milliseconds. Well, when we get on the pistol, slack out, and you're watching and you're trying to keep that sight system as still as possible. It's always going to be motion. You have to disregard it and just you have to trust in the mechanics. But as you relinquish a little bit of pressure on that, you're going to have more muzzle rise. So that is going to compensate for the drop of the round itself. Every round, uh, the, the caliber, the type of ammunition, the length of the barrel, all those are going to be mitigating factors. And it's also amount of the pounds of pressure that you place onto the weapon and how you have your body behind it. If you're standing, if you're prone, rollover prone, if you're using a Keith position where you're, you know, compressed the back of the hands uh, between your knees when you're seated and you have your back up against a hard object and you, you know, scoot down and you're underneath it. And that's uh, Elmer Keith came up with that way back when six guns on Keith published way back in I think, the forties or fifties. Uh, mentioned that also Ed McGivern shows uh, distance shooting, thinking fast and fence revolver shooting from the what 1920s or something mm-hmm. that that was published. So yeah, you have to you have to relinquish a little bit of pressure on controlling the weapon in order to still the sights, if you will, you know, to get them to calm down because you're looking at the blade. If you take a 50, the target I just mentioned, take a 50 round box um, of ammunition. You turn, uh, tear off the end of it and flatten it out, hold it edge on. That thickness of that flap on a cartridge box will cover the target I mentioned, one-third of it at 150 yards. So compress three of those together. That's all you have to be off in terms of horizontal displacement or vertical displacement in order to miss that target altogether. So if you think about that, it's very, very, and you have to be very, very fine on, on the trigger as well. So we'll talk about that. But holding the pistol very, very still, that allows that muzzle rise to come up and compensate for the drop of the round itself. So so what I hear you saying is that if you if you have that death grip on there, right, that uh, uh, that you would normally use in like extreme close quarters because you have retention issues and things like that. 
and you want to keep that muzzle rise down as much as possible for follow-up shots. What I hear you saying is that it's that death grip on that pistol that causes a lot of that that sway and that movement around that naturally comes when you're trying to sight in at, at farther distances. And and by coming off of that some and having a lighter grip, that that will, as far as like the sighting goes, it'll it'll bring you more, it'll make it more steady, more, more stable. Yeah, what it does is it minimizes the tremor that you're translating into the weapon system mm -hmm. itself. That's all gotcha. it is. So you have to relax on it a little bit um, in order to still the weapon system. That's mm -hmm. all. So if you minimize tremor, then you can improve accuracy. But that's only one component going into it. Uh, if I've had the chance to work out every single day, uh, I'm going to feel different if I haven't worked out because I've got court cases or whatever that I'm working on. And you can't, you know, just life is busy. And I come out and the next weekend I go ahead and attempt the same shot. I'm, I'm going to have to use a slightly different amount of pressure uh, and so forth on the pistol than I did the week before. I mean, it's that demanding and the the amount of finite control that you place into the weapon is very, very precise. It's a lot of fun. Um, <clears throat> there is a giggle factor to it. There's no doubt about it. But as I said, the concomitant effect is the fact that you now know that you can, you know, if I can hit 150, 250 yards, uh, I can certainly solve problems up a lot closer, especially with a lot more latitude and a larger target surface area to engage. Gotcha. Yeah. What about sight picture? So, I mean, even with a rifle, I remember the first time going to the range in the army, you know, and just like being in there and trying to hit that 300 yard shot with my, with my AR, with my, you know, as M16 back yeah. then dating myself a little bit here, but you know, there was always a compensation that had to happen with the rifle, even when you're trying to hit out at 250 and 300 yards out, not to mention that the front post of a pistol sights are, are mm -hmm. going to be wider a lot of times than even like a rifle's iron sights out there. So I, I do also notice a sway in my pistol sight picture when I've tried this in the past and trying to hit at different distances. But what is the best way to aim at these distances? I understand that coming off of the grip a little bit is going to help compensate for that aiming a little bit. But what how do you how do you teach the aiming portion of hitting out at that range? Okay. From 150, great legitimate question. These are great questions. Um okay, let's say uh standard iron sights. Okay, steel to steel. Generally, you're going to be straight across level, two equidistant bars of either side of the front sight uh, relative to the rear, focus on the front sight and everything else. Well, um, you start out about maybe two-thirds of the way up, and I am calling, I'm on glass. I use Leica spotting scope or the Leica binos um, because I can, you know, it's, the clarity is insane, so I'm able to see where the bullet strikes are. So I'm on calling for the guy at 12 o'clock is a miss high, 6 o'clock, uh, obviously low. And then you've got you know, 3 and 9 o'clock and all, comp uh, all uh, clock points in between. And I'll call it like 3 o'clock, 2 feet. Well, <clears throat> when the student gets on it and they start, usually about two-thirds of the way up, if they're pressing the shot. Uh, and again, it's all dependent on the different types of caliber, the rounds you're using, length of the barrel, and everything else. But in very short order, after about five, six, maybe, you know, eight or nine rounds, people start understanding, okay, I can do this because they're getting within two feet, three feet, then one foot, then they start getting hits. And I'm asking, where are you aiming on it? Well, I'm right about two thirds. Somebody else might be at, at the halfway point. Somebody might be, you know, have their sights lined up just underneath the head and so forth. So it's a matter of understanding how that pistol with that ammunition on that day and temperature also, thickness of the air is going to be a mitigating factor. Um, how you combine all those together in concert with one another and allows you to get the hits. So 
150 yards and in, I'm pretty much going to be probably, you know, high chest. That's where I'm going to aim. If I go out beyond that, now I start hitting 200, 250. What I'm doing now is the, the, the bullet, the trajectory is like a rainbow. And so what I'm doing there is it's generally, I've done it before, obviously from standing, but uh, rollover prone is going to be better in the key position. However, what you're doing then is you've got to put the sights on mechanical sight steel. You have to put the entire target on top of the front sight. And then I raise the front sight up over the rear sight slightly. It might be a third of the front sight over the rear. It might be two thirds and so forth over the rear. But the reason you do that is because, well, why don't I just aim over it? Well, if you aim over it, the side, the target itself is narrower than the front sight blade. You can do that with a red dot system. The red dot system, you can aim over because you still have the screen. You can see relative positioning of the target in relationship to the red dot. With iron sights, you'd be covering the entire thing. The front portion of the slide would cover the entire suspect. So he could move laterally, he could come toward you, and you wouldn't even, you'd be totally unaware of it. So you've got to keep the entire target on top of the front sight when you go to distance. Mm -hmm. So that's how you aim. And so when you get on it, you're going to have to figure out for that pistol, that ammunition that day, and depending on how you're holding the pistol, have somebody call it out. So somebody's got to be on glass for you because if you have a miss and you don't, you're not, you don't have a background where you have a distinctive dust signature from impact. Uh, if they're not on glass, nobody's going to, you know, they're going to, you're going to turn around where to hit. I don't know. So, yeah, you do need somebody on glass just to, to kind of call out the shots and help you walk it in, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, let's talk about trigger control. And personally, I, most of the training that I do is extreme close quarters. And I don't, I, so I don't put a lot of emphasis on trigger control with my training or, or sometimes a lot of the, I mean, a lot of the other factors also um, for, for mm -hmm. that distance, but but I can't imagine that when you're looking at just how far off you can be with just a tiny bit of sway of a shorter pistol barrel, every little bit here counts. So what are the other critical factors that someone needs to know in order to, to accurately shoot at 200 yards and beyond with their pistol? Well, you can forget your, uh, you know, your trigger press using, you know, close quarter battle, forget that, throw it out. 90% of what you're going to be concentrating on at distance is your, believe it or not, your trigger press. Because you've got the sights, and follow-through is going to be different, and I'll explain that in a second. But in terms of your trigger press, 90% of it has to go into the trigger. It has to be the most finite trigger press, no slack. You get rid of slack right away, uh, but no slack and slowly, gently adding pressure. Um, the analogy I use for students, I said, when you go home, go to YouTube, look at the Blue Angels pre-flight um, briefing. And you'll see the boss there, and it's a great one. And all these guys are sitting there looking at all their turn points and everything else. And the boss gets there, and all these other Blue Angels are sitting in this room around this big conference table. They've got their eyes closed. You can see them working the control switchology with their hands and their feet. You can see their bodies moving. And he go, and he sits there in a very, it's like zen. And he sits there, okay, breaks off, and rolling, rolling, and power, power, smoke on. And, and then now he starts going into the climb. And as he's going up in the climb, he's going easy, little bit more, little bit more, easy, easy. And that's exactly how you're pressing the trigger. And if you mash the trigger at, say, 250, and let's say at seven yards, or let's say, okay, we'll get 10 yards. You mash the trigger, aiming dead center, you hit about four inches low. That's about 30 feet at 250 yards so it's a very very gentle trigger press as you add pressure 
So 90% of your concentration is going to be on the application of the trigger press. Very, very, very delicate. Women do better than men. Women do better than men when they go to distance. Um, it's unbelievable. And they're just, okay, you know, he's you know, nice and smooth. They're very gentle. They're active listeners. They don't have the ego. And they go, okay, I'm going to do what Uncle Scotty tells me. And they start hitting out there and they go, that's so cool. You know, and of course, the husbands and boyfriends are frustrated. Like, wait a minute, you know, I'm not going to bring you out here again. So it's pretty, it's, it's kind of remarkable, you know. And oh, Brett, once we did a, a thing uh, for a TV show. And uh, I couldn't, we had a target set out at 350 yards. I could not, for the life of me, I couldn't hit it. And we had a steel target out at 350 yards. I could not hit it with a pistol. She came out, I don't know how she did it. She came out one hand and fires one shot, hits the thing, holsters, walks away, and the TV crew looks at her like, why are we talking to him? It was, yeah, she just, she swung One hand, one. watch this, yeah. At 350. Yeah, and I go, Really? And that was a 19, that was with a 1911. And I went, oh my God. Okay, here we go. So yeah, you get hosed <laughs> and appropriately, rightly so. It was great. Yeah. So you, you mentioned follow through also. Um, these are factors. I think a lot of people, especially if they're, if they're doing any sort of defensive classes or anything like that, it gets to be kind of high energy, high adrenaline. And so I find that those things that are easy to work on in very slow, deliberate type training, are things that go out the window when it does get down to everybody's like blowing rounds next to you on mm -hmm. the range and everything. So follow through is also another, another situation that you're talking about. Um, what about like you mentioned ammo and that you've used ammo in the past to hit much, much farther distances when you're training this in your firearms classes, is there like, are we just using, are they using regular defensive ammo or obviously I would imagine that the, the higher, um, the velocity, the more the straighter trajectory is going to be, the more you're going to be, um, more you're going to be on target there. But is this something that is better off with another? And the reason I say this is um, when we talk about the reasons why for this, right? Like active shooters, and I know you have an active shooter class as well that that you teach, and and I I can obviously see where this is a very effective skill to know for that type of a situation as rare as it may be that people might think that i mean i've had um the the highland park illinois uh active shooter situation that happened last year was i i lived like a stone's throw away from there we used to go to the fourth of july parade on that very same street and it was a it's a super small little town on the on the uh suburbs of chicago so i think that this is it's a very it's something that i think people really shouldn't think isn't too far out of what they might have to deal with for sure these days, especially. But um, so the reason I say that is if it were a situation like that, would having any sort of special ammunition either on hand, now I'm not saying, I know this sounds a little bit weird. Like, do you run to your truck and go put your special super killer, you know, ninja ammo inside of your handgun, but how much of an impact yeah. does that make with regular defensive ammunition? Okay, so when are, yeah, those great questions. First of all, in terms of follow through, you let the pistol float. It's not traditional follow through because what happens is if you're trying to lock down again for successive follow up shot, you're probably going to end up pushing the pistol a little bit. So you don't want to do that. So in this, you kind of let the pistol float on its own recoil. Uh, so that's one factor. The next is in terms of ammo, uh, students of ours, you're not using defensive ammo. If you were to do that, if you were to use factory ammo, uh, it's probably going to narrow your group by maybe a third. I'm just estimating 
but probably uh, shot dispersion, it'll probably narrow up by about a third, a factor of one third. Uh, people, though, are just using standard ball ammo. Uh, and, you know, because we're getting multiple runs on this thing when we do it. So within multiple runs, they're hitting, you know, they're getting if you're getting within a foot at 150 and within a foot or so at 250, if you were to use the same, uh, all the same techniques and employ factory ammo, you're probably going to attain a hit. Are you going to get dead center? Not necessarily. But again, what you're trying to do is dissuade the suspect from just having free reign and fire. So even a peripheral hit or anything, and of course, if you got a center hit, that would, you know, that'd be great if that was necessary, you know, put the guy down, that'd be great. But it's a matter of uh, letting the pistol float, uh, trying to minimize the amount of tremor you're inducing into the weapon, and then 90% of your concentration on the most gentle trigger press that you've ever pressed. And I urge you after this to go back to look at that Blue Angel flight, pre-flight demo, because that is, it's very zen. When you get into distant shooting now in a critical situation what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to basically compartmentalize yourself uh and if you watch guys in d-team when I've, I've done thousands and thousands of runs and shoot houses and and you know obviously conducted that type of training live fire uh, uh it gets to be very much like choreographed ballet with bullets and what you're doing is you're moving through but it's very zen-like you know the end of zero dark 30 is very uh accurate in terms of how we operate uh, and it's smooth. Everybody's calm. Uh, it, you know, you're not racing around and, you know, hosing tons of ammo and everything else, not knee deep in brass. So you're doing the same thing here when you go to distance. Yeah, the guy's putting rounds on you. Just calm down. You know, if you get hit, you get hit. But you isolate yourself and very clinical, calm uh, application of the mechanics and just trust in it and just keep doing the best you can. Gotcha. All right. So. So now our viewers have the techniques that they need to focus in on. So what do you suggest is like a range day exercise for them to go out and practice and, and really kind of fine tune this skill? How would you set that up for somebody that's listening right now? Sure. Most people don't have access to a range like we do where we can go to distance. You know, we can get out 1400 yards, but most people don't have that. So let's say you have a, you know, in order to teach distance or practice distance, you really have to go to distance. Some people have said, well, what if I, what if I shoot at a small target at, say, 25 yards? The problem is you're looking at ballistic prop here. So you're looking at the, you know, the flight characteristics of the round itself. So you need to go to distance to understand what it is that you're trying to accomplish. But at 50 yards, what I would do is try to see what kind of a, you know, group can you get at 50 yards? Take your time. Um, you can start out very, very slowly from standing. Then you can go to different positions, braced, unbraced, roll over prone position, keep position. Uh, and as you do this, you know, you're, you're slowly building the confidence of hitting at 50 and then you can draw straight onto target. So you bypass, you know, in other words, rapid, you know, uh, rapid position acquisition, you know, just dropping down prone, coming out, single shot, back up, recover, holster, do the same thing again, um, and see if you can get multiple hits in a row. Uh, the only way to get good at 150, uh, yards on a target, shoot 150 yards at a target. Um, I don't know of any other way because now you start realizing, man, it is absolutely essential that everything be as pure. All the inputs are as pure as possible. All the mechanical inputs going into that weapon system have to be beyond pure. <clears throat> when you get out to 250, and when I do the 500 yard, uh, flight time is almost three seconds for that round. So I literally will shoot in front of a handgun one class. And, uh, you know, they'll be behind. I'm not looking for the hit. And I've got one third of the front side up over the rear on the five inch 1911 I have. 
um, and I'll fire the shot. And it's basically, literally, if I wanted to, I could actually holster. You know, I'm not going to speed reholster, but if I did, I could actually be holstered and the round's still in transit. It's still in, in its flight, but it gets out there. But you have to practice at distance. So go out someplace where you can find some kind of a distant target and have somebody spot for you on glass. So yep. Scott, you're you're um you're you're saying that it's really helpful to have somebody on glass and be able to spot for you. Oh my God. Yeah, it's it's everything. And and again, as I said, you know, if you can let them know too that we teach in handgun one to go to 50, and that's how how it really gets it going. But if I come out, you can see the pistol here. Okay. So if I were to come out and I fire, once I break a shot, I just let the recoil go up here and then I come back down on it. I don't sit there. In terms of the actual recoil that you'd use for success, a follow-up shot, I'd be locked in and the pistol would be working right here. Here, I'm locked out, and I come out when I fire, I just let the natural recoil take over. I don't add anything into it, but it's terms of floating. I'll move back a little bit, but from here, like this, come back up, and then back down on it, like that. So it's that very, it's called what I call floating motion. And so you're saying that if somebody... You're saying that if somebody is trying to like watch their own rounds, if you're trying to do this solo and you're trying to see where, especially if it at longer distances where that, that bullet's going to be in the air for a little while, if you're, if you're focused in on where that bullet's going to be and you're the one doing it, that's going to throw somebody off. Yeah. It's going to frustrate you because again, it's so the, the side alignment is so precise, the trigger press, all that going into it. And from the time you release that hammer or firing pin and that round discharges, that's occurring in milliseconds. And if you come off, in that small portion of time, those milliseconds, then you're completely off. You're not going to know where you're, I mean, it's, it's very frustrating. So you have to trust in the spotter in terms of realism. Uh, if I'm shooting at a suspect and again, where we are, I, I'm glass, I can see the dust signature and everything else. That's not realistic in an urban environment. So let's take Mandalay Bay, for instance, if I was uh, what I, if I was there, I'd probably end up Fine to engage them. And hopefully nobody would shoot me, think I'm an active shooter. I have to get somebody behind me to watch my six. But if I got down and braced, um, I'm shooting. I'm not expecting to be able to see any hits at all on my behalf where they're impacting. I'm just going to have to go with, okay, basically at this distance, it's probably going to be two-thirds of my front side up over the rear. And I'm just going to keep putting rounds in that just very slowly, very smoothly, very methodically. Um, are you going to see the hits? No. The misses, you're probably not. But at least I can guarantee you that you're going to be somewhere in the ballpark and the suspect will be aware that you are actively intending, you know, intending to engage him because they're coming by. And I've had rounds go right by me, you know, and, you know, they're very distinctive. It sounds like an angry bumblebee going, you know, whipping by and not rifle, but pistol. And you're going, yeah, okay, okay, here we go. We're in it. Uh, The mainstay of all of our classes is adaptation. At speed under extreme duress. And that's what this would be. That's my definition of gunfighting, problem solving, adaptation at speed under extreme duress. It's in the book. Um, I love it. And, yeah. And, but that's what it is. You're looking, you problem solve, you have to adapt to it. And it's generally very, very fast, very, very rapid, uh, very compressed time formats. And then you have to maintain your composure. Uh, so the individual that exhibits most finesse and control over this individual weapon system maintains its composure, will most probably prevail in a gunfight. Not always, but most probably is going to prevail. So this is a matter of uh, being very calm in the mind, being very still. Um, and I'm not saying to disregard or abrogate tactics, but, you know, sometimes the best 
you know, offense is just getting straight into the guy. You know, that's going to be your best defense is just a hard offense right into him, just straight into the teeth of it. And here it's calming down and gentle, very nice and just very, very gentle uh, inputs into the weapon system. So it is very well, much Zen. Yeah, it's Zen. It's a higher order of Zen at distance for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Scott, I really appreciate you uh, taking some time with us today. Listen, everybody. Um, I, this is uh this is some there's a lot of training here as you can tell scott's programs are first of all they're based upon experience they're based upon the reality of an attack even so far as going into a situation where you might have a, a, a shooter at a distance that you have to engage all the way up to extreme close quarters and even having like a reality-based system to be able to reinforce not just the marksmanship skills, but really to get you into the tactics, get you into the fight in a more realistic scenario is going to prepare you so much better. So I highly recommend go check out Scott's pro training programs over at both of his websites. And if you're in the LA area, or I know that Scott also brings the training around, he's willing to travel and do some training as well. Definitely go check mm -hmm. that out. Visit him online at internationaltactical.com or go over to intacttrainingsolutions.com and check it out. And come back and let us know how you did with your range day. I know I'm super excited about heading out and uh, trying to drop the jaws of the uh, of the frogs that I'll be out there on the range with. And I'm looking forward to that. So I'd love to hear how you get out to the range and your experience with it as well. All right. And until our next show, this is Jeff Anderson saying, live like a warrior. You've been listening to the Warrior Life Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us spread the mission of self-reliance and self-protection when you rate us. And leave us a comment wherever you enjoy these podcasts. And don't forget to check out our posts and videos on our social media channels. You'll see a full directory when you visit our website at www.warriorlife.com. We'll see you next time. This has been the Warrior Life Podcast. Prepare. Train. Survive.